the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very important program today. Very important. I'm glad you're here. It's um, We're going to cover some ground today. Uh, and, I, you know, it's... Uh, couldn't be more important than what you're going to hear today in some ways, although every day is important. So great, great to be together. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. Also, go to Periscope uh, at Eagle Ed Martin. Watch my videos twice a day. In fact, uh, uh, 945 East Coast time, so 645 on the West Coast, and also 2 p.m. Uh, East Coast time, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, Let's get to what you need to know today. What you need to know today, um, it's just a couple things. I On my Periscope earlier today, I did speak about this, and I think, let me spend a few minutes uh, explaining what I believe. What I said on that Periscope <clears throat> is, <clears throat> is um, in all of the hullabaloo of people saying that you might not, if you live in Georgia, you might not vote for Republicans. Some people recommending don't vote for Republicans. I don't do that, by the way. I don't think it makes any sense to um, tell people to not vote. I think people should vote, and then they should vote the absolute best they can. Some people are stuck in places where you have to vote for, you know, really liberal people, but they're better than the crazy socialists. Anyone voting is more valuable than not voting. I believe that. I mean, some people disagree, but I believe it. And it goes back to my time as the chairman of the Board of Elections in St. Louis. I just believe that. I believe anyone voting is more valuable than not voting. Now, our job is to help fight through the fake news, the fake politics, the, uh, the fake information, and inform people so they vote right. That's a different problem. We got to do that. But here's what I want to tell you. <clears throat> There's a lot of hullabaloo now about some things said in Georgia. You know, Lynn Wood was quoted as saying something or other and this and the other thing. Here's what I'll pull back and say. I don't I would never tell people not to vote in an election. That's dumb. If you're a conservative and you have a chance to vote in Georgia, vote and vote for the best candidates you can. Never sit it out. Never vote third party. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Don't know politics if you do that. However, I will say this, and this is the important point. Right now in this country, the Republican Party is running a risk, a big risk, of, 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 of discovering that a whole bunch of voters who came towards them came for Trump and his vision, but really came for Trump. And what do I mean by that? Well, in 2010, a lot of people, 2009, 2010, the Tea Party exploded. A lot of people said, I want to throw the bums out. Let's put in other people. And they kind of went to the polls. But the, the, the generally, the party structure, the Republicans, figured out how to sort of wait that out. And the way they waited it out was, yes, there were some Tea Party folks elected. And yes, they did make a difference. And yes, Rand Paul elected in 2010. Ted Cruz elected right around then, I think maybe 2012. Uh, those guys were totally... Um, fighters and they were, I remember they were filibustering and they were fighting and fighting and fighting. Uh, and then other, other people, Dave Bratt was elected uh, and all these, what the generally the Republican party did was outlast the tea party and the tea party did not have a unifying 
principle, a unifying leader, you couldn't say, ah, that's the Tea Party head or ah, the Tea Party means this. No taxation without representation. That wasn't what the original Tea Party was either, but it's close, closer. In that case, they waited it out and they, they basically co-opted co- and corrupted people that started out in the Tea Party and it kind of fizzled until Trump. And now with Trump, what you have is somebody whose his, his MO is to fight. And even when he doesn't deliver all the goods for us, we the people feel like he's fighting on our side. In other words, he didn't build all the wall, but he's fighting our way. He didn't get all the regulations changed, but he's fighting our way. He didn't get all the, the uh, wars over, but he's fighting our way. We believe that he fights. And in 2018, I predicted that the, that the success of the Trump vision, America first, uh, limited government, judges, I predicted it would actually succeed. And it really didn't. At the polls, you know, a few people won. Josh Hawley won. That was a beat Claire McCaskill. But, you know, Missouri's gone to be sort of a red state, not really a, a blue, a purple state anymore. But in general, Republicans got killed at the polls in 2018. Why? Because the people who believe in the movement that expand the Republican Party from a party of 35 percent of Americans to a party of 50 percent of Americans, that difference maker, the MAGA difference is not coming for the Republicans who aren't Trump. They haven't been conditioned. They don't believe that the Republican Party is a party of America first and Trump. So when Trump's on the ballot in 2020, it's a landslide down ballot. Landslide for everybody Republican. Because the people voting, the MAGA difference is people that are saying, he fights for me, he's on my side, and I'll vote Republican because they're with him. And they came out. And that's why it went like that. So right now, when what I tell people is don't don't fall for the uh, for for the trick where people say don't vote. But I do say to the Republican Party, be warned right now. It's not the Tea Party. And here's why. In the old days, America was a, a democratic republic. We were a democratic republic that was that was we gave our power into the hands of of the different levels of government from we the people, but we especially structured it so that at the national level, we were a a republic of states that had these protections. You know, we had protections, the electoral college, we had protections of sort of federalism and jurisdiction and the courts and everything else. A lot, not everything, a lot of other things. So that was, we, we didn't actually have a direct democracy per se. You know, that would be mob rule. That would be popular votes. It wouldn't be good. Our founders knew that could lead to trouble. Instead, we have this representative republic, this democratic republic. The principles of democracy in a republic form. Now, in my opinion, we don't have a democratic republic anymore. We have a direct response republic. A direct response republic. The direct response is you and I can use social media. We can use technology, the Internet and all the tools we have to to make clear what we think in real time. And this president, Trump, has fostered that notion. It's dizzying for people, some. But for most Americans now, it's a habit. And the habit is. I can get my direct response known. I can bypass the fake news. I can bypass the fake polls. I can bypass the fake politicians. That's what uh, Joe Biden was. He's a fake candidate. I can bypass the fake elections. I can bypass the fake courts. I can bypass the fake FBI. I can go right to the people around me, not just physically, but in this country, and right to the government. 
Now, this should be exciting and it should be energizing and it should give you hope to say, huh, I don't have to wait for the next election to shape what's going on. I can use the tools, and, but it should also give you pause because the power of big tech and the power of big media, fake news, is really making it tough. You got to understand you have the tools. I have the tools. We have the tools. We're not going back to the old days, but it's not easy to get to the new days. We're fighting through this. We have day after day incidents of fraud, major incidents of fraud that are uncovered day after day and uncovered by we, the people and advertised and I mean, uh, and publicized by right side media and Breitbart live and all these things, but very difficult, really tough, really tough to fight through the CNNs and even the Fox news. And this is a real problem we have of getting control of the media narrative and trying, 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 trying to do the best we can and, uh, and to tr- get things focused on, on, on what's at the truth. And we can do it now because we have a president that fosters it and we have a system that allows it and we have the tools. So this is a real battle right now. This is a real battle and, and it's kind of, fe- it may feel like you're, you're abandoned. That's what I told somebody. It feels to people like the GOP's abandoned them. Where are all the people that were fighting for Kavanaugh? Where, where are all those people? They were going on TV. They were going, where are they? They're nowhere to be found. Where are all those uh, reporters that were chasing around for news on Amy Coney Barrett or Donald Trump's tax returns or any of that? Where are they? They're chasing Joe Biden's dog down the street. We are in a time where we feel Republicans, conservatives say that, who vote Republican, you feel abandoned. You feel abandoned by the, uh, by the media. And whether you like it or not, that's how it feels for Fox News. Fox News doesn't feel like they're fighting for us. They're covering a little bit of stuff, but they're not fighting for what we feel. And I bring it all the way for full circle. Remember, the reason this whole thing happens like this is because Donald Trump, Donald Trump is a fighter. And people don't mind that when a fighter doesn't land every punch, doesn't win every round. But when they look around and say, who else is joining in the fight? And more and more, they think there's no one there. This gets this gets not just disheartening. It gets almost impossible to uh, to feel to feel good about to feel anything other abandoned. And the last thing I'll say, though, is what you feel abandoned is not what you have to be. You have to then turn yourself to the tools you have, the energy you have, the things you have, to the understanding you have, and get after it. And get after it. Okay? That's what you have to do. That's what you need to know. Uh, and uh, all right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to walk you through some of the fraud. I call it the laundry list of fraud. And then a very important segment. I pre-recorded it with Jordan Henry about what's happening with the Constitution, December 8th, the Electoral College, what it all means. So hang in there. Be encouraged. I'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email. Check our segments over there and stay in close uh, touch. Be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, coming up in a few moments, we will get to that laundry list, the laundry list of, uh, excuse me, not the laundry list. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But we will, I be, we, later on this show, we'll get to Jordan Henry, our research director. You're going to want to hear him walk us through. It's a little bit longer segment. Walk us through exactly what's going on in the next few days under the Constitution, under the relevant laws passed in this country. He'll cover all that. So coming up in a few moments. All right. I've been telling you about the laundry list, okay? Laundry list of, of fraud. And I'm putting this together. I promise you I'm going to publish it. Uh, but there is in each of the states now, and here's what I'm, here's my challenge. I'm going to do this to myself. There are six states where it looks like things really went south. Five that are really obvious and Nevada, which has some real structural problems. And tomorrow on Friday, uh, excuse me, just an hours from now, Friday, um, they will be, it might actually might have been today. I haven't, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I haven't tracked this. In Nevada, there's going to be an evidentiary hearing in court where the lawyer, Mr. Bennell, uh, for the We the People is going to say, hey, what's the story here? He's going to actually get hold of a, of one of the um, machines to look at. So Nevada is a little different for me, but I can tell you in the other states, Maricopa County, Arizona, uh, Detroit, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Atlanta, Georgia. And by the way, the collar, the collar counties surrounding the cities, they didn't do all this fraud in the cities. They did it in the cities and the collar counties in, in Missouri, of which I'm most familiar, but it works in almost every big city. You now have collar counties that have become totally dominated by one party. Right. So in St. Louis, St. Louis City, very Democratic for decades. Now, St. Louis County, completely Democratic, too, in the last 20 years. You know, 20 years ago, you had a Gene McNary, a Republican there, but now it's all Democrat, dominated by Democrats in Washington, D.C. Now, the collar counties around Washington, D.C., Fairfax County, totally Democrat. Uh, 15, 20 years ago, you had guys like Tom Davis, the future congressman at the time who served in the in the executive position in in Fairfax County. Same in most cities. Up in Philadelphia, Montgomery County, it's a little bit more purple, a little bit better, but still dominated. In terms of the corruption, you look at these city centers and then the counties around them. And in the case of Arizona, Maricopa County is the county within which uh, Phoenix is. So when you start to look in those five states, you're now seeing significant focus, significant um, uh, uh, specifics on what the fraud was, right? Ballots going back and forth across state lines, ballots being backdated, a digital manipulation. This is being reported like it. This is justthenews.com has one of these. And this is a former attorney general of Kansas. He, you know, he has this many examples of Pennsylvania and Wisconsin. With specific, oh, no, no. Here's somebody who says, this is what I saw. This is what the facts were. This is the description. And as someone said, when you have people testifying under oath, while it is true that they may be lying, that's always true, right? A witness in any case could always be lying. But the question is, how do you assess their believability? And for example, in, in Michigan, they had two uh, testimony from two different people. And the fact is that um, the, uh, the, the, the people in, um, in Michigan, two different ones, I think one a Democrat and one a Republican, um, testified, and they were totally believable. Do I know if they were lying? Well, they were swearing under oath, and they were saying it in a way that was believable. That's how you judge. And by the way, a jury could decide, oh, no, I don't believe that woman or those two women. I don't think that they're believable. Or a judge could, too. A judge could say, I think you're lying. You could impeach the witness. You could say, this person has a history of lying. She lied 17 times under oath, or this person is convicted of fraud. Therefore, you can't try. There, there hasn't been any evidence like that introduced to so-called impeach the witness. Okay. In, in Wisconsin, there's a lawsuit now filed 
that shows that absentee ballot abuses impacted up to 220,000 ballots. Now, again, it's a lawsuit. It hasn't been proven yet, but it's, it's saying in, in two of the most Democrat-heavy counties, 221,000 ballots. By the way, the race is decided by 10,000. And the fact is that the people that are looking at this are saying, there's no way that this could have happened. They disregarded the current statutes and they went around Wisconsin law and it wouldn't just change 5,000 votes. It wouldn't just change 3,000. It would change 221,000 votes in two of the most Democrat-leaning counties. You know, again, this is we're back to the sort of news here. You know, there are people and specific people testifying under oath or, or attesting under oath in these lawsuits. Okay, here's another one in Georgia. There's a video of a Dominion worker who seems to be caught manipulating the voter data, the voter data, like one of these workers. Okay, now my point here is the laundry list, it always can be shot down by, um, by the, the, the opponents. They can shoot down one or two. Can they really shoot down this many? Can you really say without, you know, with a straight face? Oh, yeah, well, we know there's a huge laundry list. There's new, uh, new um, um, allegations. Again, not allegations. New factual uh, assertions under oath. You know, another one is the Nevada. Nevada's looking at the, at the uh, spike in voter registration and the use of casinos as your home address. I mean, you can't write this. If this was a movie about fraud, you, wouldn't, uh, you, wouldn't, you couldn't write it like this. And my point here is, I hope, you've got, uh, a, I hope you've got your laundry list together and you're continuing to grow it because people are people. And you need to simplify it for them. You need to say, here's what happened, and here's how it changes the race. And we're coming down the stretch here where you've got to have some, we've got to have some breaks. We've got to keep fighting. Remember, it's a three-front battle. One front is the law, the justice, excuse me, the law, the legal cases, they're progressing. The other one is the public opinion, the, the, inf- the misinformation that we're being fed. And the third one is the Constitution. We're in the middle of all that right now. We're in the middle of all that. And we've got to keep our head down, keep focused, and keep making this laundry list and be ready to help each other shore people up, encourage people in what they're seeing and what the reality things are. So that's where we are with that. I hope you uh, will get your laundry list. All right, coming up in a few moments, we're going to talk with Jordan Henry. Let me set this piece up for you, this segment. Between now and next Tuesday, December 8th, all of the states will have to either give over to the federal government notice, the federal Congress notice, that they have a slate of electors or not. Now, if they don't, there's a whole bunch of other things that happen. But if they do, and it's disputed, let's say in a state like in Pennsylvania, the state Senate and the state House convene, and they say, we disagree with what they're trying to say here. The, the Secretary of State saying, well, the popular vote went this way. We, we can't believe the popular vote because of so much fraud. If there is a conflict, that's when the Congress will become involved. And frankly... Besides hoping that the law is, you know, uh, clears up how bad the fraud was, what we have to hope for is that we have some patriot legislators who are willing to stand up and say, yeah, we just can't tolerate this. This is too much for us to take. We're not going to allow this and we ha- need more time to get to the bottom of it. And the time is going to be required by not certifying the wrong people. By not allowing the electors from a state where the fraudulent election has happened to be sent to vote on the 14th of December. I think that's going to happen, but we need to learn how exactly the details of it work. And that's what Jordan Henry is going to teach us in just a moment. So uh, stay tuned for that. And don't forget all of these segments. If you want to listen again, go back proamericareport.com, proamericareport.com and over on social media at Eagle Ed Martin. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I don't know, about a week ago, I was talking to Jordan Henry, the director of research at the Phyllis Schlafly Center, and uh, one of the key uh, people at the Phyllis, in the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles organization, about all the dates that were coming. And if you've been following our both the radio program as well as our work at the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we had one-pagers that graphically show what the timeline is. You know, the election is in November, and then December 8th is a key date. The 14th is when the Electoral College meets, and then on, and on into 
January, January 6th. So, uh, but Jordan created a, a, a post and we'll put it up on social media, but I want to get him on as Jordan Henry, our research director, and walk through, Jordan, what is these days coming up to December 8th? What are these deadlines? I, I, I know the answer, but tell our listeners, why is December 8th a deadline? That's not in the Constitution. Walk us through what we're seeing in these days and why things matter. Yeah, that's right. Uh, December the 8th, uh, well, actually, I should say, six days before the Electoral College meets, uh, was set up in U.S. code and upheld by the Supreme Court in Bush v. Gore back in 2000 uh, as the last day for states to be able to submit their certifications for Electoral College delegates uh, before the federal government has a chance to step in. So uh, basically, any state, uh, if they certify the results of their election by December the 8th this year, then that means that it's supposed to be beyond the federal legislature's reach to be able to contest and and uh, invalidate. Uh, so that's going to be a very, very major date in this particular presidential election as we um, uh, as we you know sort through all the results that we're seeing in these six states. We're, t- we're talking with uh, Jordan Henry, the research uh, director at the Phyllis Schlafly Center in St. Louis, Missouri, at phyllisschlafly.com. You go through and uh, we'll put a link up on that. We should put a link up on the front page there, uh, Jordan, so people can click on it. But, well, Jordan, back up for one second. Um, so December 8th, by December 8th, the states shall have and use the word certified. So people get a little confused. Most states will talk about certifying the election. When I was an election board chairman, we would certify the results of the St. Louis uh, Board of Elections. You know, usually it'd be a week after the election. You'd have kind of pulled in everything. You run the numbers. You make, you make someone makes a mistake. There's actually, you know, 16 absentee ballots instead of 17. And you run a collective and say, here's our final tally. We, the election authority, certify. That's an operation of election law. What you're talking about is under the state rules, they will have figured out how to decide who the electors are to the Electoral College by December 8th. So in some states... The electors um, are the popular, most states, by the way, the popular vote uh, uh, in the election in November. Whoever wins that will get their slate of electors. In some states, Nebraska, Maine, they divide the electors up by uh, congressional districts. So the state of Maine says, you know what, we're going to decide our electors by congressional districts. If you win the popular vote in the first congressional district, you get the electors. If your opponent wins in the second, they get the electors for those districts. So each state can decide how to do it. But what would be the problem, Jordan? Like, who would be objecting? Could it be that um, is there a court case and therefore they can't a, a, a state court judge is saying you can't allow the electors to be seated? Because if they don't do it by the 8th, it kind of throws open the question of what happens next. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that is right, Ed. Um, so, um, really, wh- wh- where we're at right now is that um, all six of the contested states have had certification submitted in favor of Joe Biden. So, um, really, where we're at right now is that um, a state legislature or some other authority within those states has the ability to submit their own certification, and that would theoretically be tossed to the House and the Senate, and and I'm sure to the courts as well. Uh, Really, the the waters get pretty murky whenever you get to this point, because we're seeing so much fraud, uh, so much uh, irregularities with how the election was, uh, was, uh, was transacted, and yet so many of these systems that were built in these different states are not addressing 
these irregularities that we're seeing. Right. So what we need right. is we need so, state legislatures to step in and do their job because of the Constitution, of course, gives them the ultimate say in how these electoral college delegates uh, are, are, uh, are awarded in these different states. Well, and he alluded to this. Again, we're talking with Jordan Henry. We'll put this up on social media. We're talking the nuts and bolts of what happens between now and December 8th. And then the 14th is the meeting of the Electoral College. By the way, the Electoral College does not meet in Washington, D.C. It meets in each state and it meets they meet and sort of in the old days, they would have met at the same time, cast their votes and then reported them in. I'm sure now they do it with a live feed and all. And and, and that the 14th of December will be a big day. But as you point out, um, uh, Jordan, Article 2, Section 1, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution says each state shall appoint in such a manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors. So in the Constitution, clearly the founders, the document says the state legislature. It does not say a state law because a state law would require House and Senate or in a, 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 a unicameral state, the, the body to pass it and then the governor sign it or whatever or, or override the veto or whatever that would be. But here's the here's the thing I have. You mentioned there was this law in the 1880s, I think, that sort of codified some of the uh, some of the way this worked out. And that's what people have operated under. So if if right now in Michigan, Pennsylvania, may be better, they, the state legislature sees such fraud. Is it your understanding the state legislature could call itself into session and the House and Senate could pass what a continuing resolution that says we contest the electors or we give the electors to uh, Trump over Biden? And that becomes this conflict that you're referring to or what what could be the actions? Let me say it that way. Is it a court that could do it? What do you think? Well, I think that the legislature has to play some very big part in it because, uh, like you mentioned, that's what the Constitution says. Ultimately, the power goes to the legislature, the state legislatures, to determine this this process. So um, if if the uh, legislature were to meet in uh, some kind of a special session to address the election fraud, uh, it, it would be entirely within their jurisdiction to uh, submit a, a, uh, a certification of their own, which uh, would likely go to court. And I believe uh, under our present conservative originalist court makeup would, would likely uh, be uh, be uh, resolved favorably uh, for those of us that want to stick to the Constitution and give power to the legislatures. It's um, and so but it, but here's the question. I uh, another question back to you. Um, we don't really know. Right. I mean, we don't know. We certainly you and I are talking offline. There, there are a handful of state senators who say, hey, this is a problem. Well, that doesn't set up a conflict. Right. Because there's already laws passed in the state. And the, and the so. Um, but, what, you know, it, also in the 1880s or whenever that the, the federal rules were passed, there's some reference to if there is a dispute, the governor can certify who the electors are. I mean, I guess we're into a into a, a sort of murky area, which may be this may be the place where the Supreme Court can decide. In other words, I've always been a little bit um, uh, gun shy that the Supreme Court's going to take up a, a voter fraud case and say, oh, we found systematic fraud. It's going to be hard to make a, a, a factual case on the record and all. But they may take up a constitutional case that says, hey, if the state legislatures decide they think it wasn't good enough, our job is not to second guess them. The Constitution says they're allowed to do that. We're not going to let anybody else second guess them, too. That might be the best path. But here's the thing. It's got to happen in the next few days because December 8th is next Tuesday, right? 
That's right. That's right. We're facing very serious time deadlines. And if a state legislature wants to get in on this and wants to actually do something, uh, then uh, then it's got to go quickly. It's got to work fast. Because after that December 8th deadline, uh, with the safe harbor deadline there, it's, it's going to be uh, virtually impossible for anything to be done after that, because, like I said, that was established in U.S. code, but it was upheld by the Supreme Court in 2000 with Bush v. Gore, and I think it's unlikely that the Supreme Court would want to challenge that kind of precedent. Uh, so really, we, we need people to be stepping up right now while we have a chance to fix this before the safe harbor deadline hits. Uh, we're talking with, again, Jordan Henry, uh, the research director at the Phyllis Schlafly Center. Uh, again, phyllisschlafly.com. You can see we'll put a button up on the top there and, and make sure you can click through to it. And if you want to find out more, uh, you can email Jordan directly, jordan at phyllisschlafly.com. He's got tons of information on this. Uh, <clears throat> um, let me. Uh, it's a little further down the line, but after the Electoral College meets uh, on January 6th, and the Electoral College is December 14th, and on January 6th, the Congress comes back in, and the Congress can take up will will have to take up the electoral college votes and and usually it's they read them out and they all say hey and it goes forward but if one senator and one house member objects to any aspect of it i can clarify for me jordan then they're then they adjourn to their individual chambers and they have two hours of discussion and a vote on whether they should accept those electors is it is any senator and any representative paired together can they object to any state or does it have to be only their states or is it not clear yet my understanding is that it can be any representative and any senator that can object to any state. That That's my understanding yeah. of the process. And this has not been right. employed too terribly often. Uh, you, you may remember how in 2016, Maxine Waters uh, was trying to uh, contest the, the results of the election just there in 2016. Couldn't find a, a senator who was willing to stand up with her. Uh, but she she offered it out. Any senator, any senator that wants to jump in. Uh, so you know there, there there is some a little bit of precedent here, but we haven't seen anything like uh, what we've seen this year in terms of election fraud and in terms of the need to really seriously evaluate uh, the process by which these certifications have come out. Well, and it sets up a delicious, delicious prospect. If the media would cover anything, they should like the idea. Can you imagine Ted Cruz and Matt Gates objecting and then adjourning to the to the various chambers and having Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate fighting it out and Matt Gates and AOC and all? I mean, it, it should be entertainment tonight if the media was willing to cover any of it, which they're not. So, all right, Jordan Henry, thank you for the report on this. We will post this up and I'll get this link to people. Uh, this is an important thing these coming days before. For December 8th especially, and we'll have you back on after the 8th to figure out uh, what next. Thank you, Jordan. You bet. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Conservatives talk a lot about upholding our Judeo-Christian heritage, but so often we miss a very important question. What's the alternative? Unfortunately for the American left, some sort of moral, secular atheism is not a true option when it comes to a value system. After all, 
If your morality is defined only by your personal discretion of what is right and wrong, you don't really have the kind of unifying authority upon which cultures are built. Besides, although American atheists don't like to admit it, a lot of their supposed independent moral judgments are just recycled teachings from the Judeo-Christian worldview rooted in the Bible. This is especially true when it comes to the rights of women. Almost all people living under a Judeo-Christian system believe that women are entitled to basic protections under the law. We all believe that rape is wrong and that women should have the autonomy to make personal decisions. Those beliefs are rooted in biblical teaching that all people, whether male or female, are created in the image of God. Contrast this Judeo-Christian belief of women's rights with those in Muslim-majority nations. In many of those lands, women are considered to be little more than property. A woman's value is determined either by her virginity or by her willingness to be a prostitute. In many Muslim nations, the word of a woman is only worth half of the word of a man in a court of law. This means it takes two female witnesses to equal the credibility of a male witness in places like Egypt, Jordan, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Iran, and other nations. As a result, sexual crimes are rampant and rarely punished. If someone wants to reject America's Judeo-Christian roots, they have to come up with a reasonable alternative. And I'm afraid the Islamic worldview isn't it. For all people, but especially for women, the cultural relevance of biblical teachings cannot be understated. If feminists and other leftists truly wanted to protect the rights of women worldwide, the very first thing they should do is encourage a swift rejection of Allah in favor of the God of the Bible. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's do a little cultural roundup today. I guess that's not the exact word, but I didn't see the fight over the weekend with uh, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. I didn't see it. I didn't watch it. I I know some friends that watched it, but um, it was really interesting to uh, Mike. uh, Mike Tyson is one of the more fascinating people in, in, in American life, isn't he? I mean, he's not a perfect guy, but he admits that. Um, and he talks a lot about that. And I think he's now, I believe now he is a Christian. Um, I don't know for sure, but he's, he spoke after his, um, uh, fight and they asked him something like, um, were, were you ever think about what you'd, you know, how you'd fail? And he, he looked at him like, what are you talking about? Why, why, why would I think that way? He said, I, I, you know, he said, I know I could fail. And I'm motivated to succeed, but he's like, I, I don't think about that. 
And he went on to talk about, and you know, people think of him as kind of a street fighter and a thug and all, um, but he's he talked about how you have to have your mind uh, in, in the right direction to do things that are impossible. And he actually used that word. He said, some things are impossible to do and you just have to do them because you have to believe. And I have to say, one of the things of this period in history right now, and I, I do give Trump credit for this, is the things that are not supposed to be done, after a while, you, you start to believe you're not supposed to do them. That may sound silly, but you know, you're not supposed to pick a trade war with China because it's going to devastate your economy. That's what we were told by all the major economists, not just like by a few of them, but all of them said that. They all said, they said, you know, this is what happens. You know, uh, you can't, um, you can't uh, uh, cut off uh, illegal immigration because they do too much of the work in the country. Well, we, we dramatically decreased it. And it turns out that wages went up for lots of workers. I, all these things that, you know, you're not supposed to run for president if you've never been in office. Trump did that, right? All these examples of things. It's a funny moment where I think more and more people have come to believe that anything is possible, which is really cool. It's really cool. And I actually, I, I think one of the, the problems of the last few years and I, I was that people started to believe that you could only do the things you're supposed to do. And I, I feel like there's this kind of uh, unbelievable uh, uh, energy for people to do whatever they want and to think that anything's possible. Anyway, that the piece by Mike Tyson, I'll put it up on uh, social media. It's fascinating to see him talk about that. And, um, and you know, he's not a kid. He's like 50 something. Um, he's in great shape, but he fought, you know, fought a real fight where they're beating the heck out of each other. And it was a real, uh, you know, Roy Jones Jr. is also in his fifties or something. So it's kind of an exhibition, but, um, Fascinating to see that. Fascinating to see that. I am reminded, of course, I've told you about it often, uh, of a book that is on my bookshelf. It's actually on almost every bookshelf I own because I've bought, at various times, I'll buy 10 copies and then I'll give them out to people over time and they'll be around my office. It's The Power of Positive Thinking. The Power of Positive Thinking with uh, written by Norman Vincent Peale. I have it as a book on tape, Audible. I bought it in his voice, reading it. His own voice is extraordinary and uh it is, um, it's amazing. And that's the kind of thing that Norman Vincent Peale talks about is you have to, it doesn't mean that you'll succeed at everything. You, it doesn't mean that, but it means if you don't think you will, you never will. And in fact, if you think you will, you start to do much more than you started, you initially expected. So it is, uh, it's very cool. And it's, it, it's got a, uh, my point here is that's a great tradition in American life of people Men and women, especially now in the last 50 years, men and women, believing that anything's possible and then they're just doing it. There's nothing that's impossible in America. That's really the difference, a difference for the rest of the world for lots of reasons. But that mindset from the beginning, I mentioned earlier, you know, the founding of our country. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't fight, uh, we, we didn't dis, uh, depart from the other nation because, uh, from Britain, because it was... Uh, possible or likely or a good scenario it was supposed to be impossible and we did it anyway because we weren't going to tolerate it that way pretty extraordinary mike tyson uh, good stuff thank you as always to noah our technical director for keeping us on everything going and also for joanna to joanna for helping us book great guests be back tomorrow it's ed martin here in a pro america report talk to you then